This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Monday afternoon following Iowa's first win in Big Ten play in 2023, a 26-16 win over Michigan State at home, which saw a change of changing of the guard at quarterback for the Hawkeyes. Out goes Cade McNamara. In comes sneaking Deacon Hill. And uh, seems like he's the guy we're going to be riding with, uh, if not the rest of this season, certainly the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll get into all that. It'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Uh, reports are that uh, have have confirmed, I guess, not quite confirmed fully uh, what we all suspected probably within the few seconds uh, after seeing Cade McNamara go down on the turf early in the game Saturday night. Uh, his season is over. You know, his Hawkeye career is, is probably in question moving forward, although I don't know where else he will go. He does have another year of eligibility. Uh, but again, a lot to talk about on that front uh, as we move through this. want to talk a little bit about the game itself and then some bigger picture stuff, uh, kind of like we did last year, and um, not get too much into into basketball, but it was uh, it, it was Iowa Basketball Media Day today for the men. The women go on Wednesday, so believe it or not, basketball is right around the corner. We're less than two weeks from the crossover at Kinnick uh, between the Iowa women and DePaul. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. So always sneaks up on us, it feels like, as we wait so long for football season. And then once it gets here, it goes so quickly. Uh, So the Hawkeyes won 26-16. It was not a pretty win, but all Iowa fans who have been watching this team for the last few years uh, have seen wins like this before. And I think you should buckle up to see some more games like this the rest of this season. It's, this is probably what it's going to look like. Uh, close games where special teams are super important, defensive games, uh, field position games, and which team can make the big play. There were there were, there were more than one big play uh, in this game, a game which you know hit the over in Vegas despite only, uh, was it one offensive touchdown that Iowa had, uh, er, or Deacon Hill to Eric Hall? Uh, I believe that was the only offensive touchdown. The only touchdown Michigan State scored was on a scoop and score. Um, and I was on the other touchdown was just the the play that broke open Kinnick Stadium, the play that uh, we've been waiting for for Cooper DeGene this season. You know, we've known that he's the you know probably the best player on the roster uh, all season long, but had kind of been waiting for that signature moment, that signature game. He had three pick sixes a year ago. Uh, had been kind of limited in his uh, his punt return capabilities this season, but if you're going to uh, outkick your coverage the way the Michigan State punter did in the fourth quarter uh, at night at Kinnick, you're you're leaving yourself open to uh, to a Cooper DeGene play like that, and uh, and he made them pay, and he won the game, and uh, it was just so much fun to to see that, to hear the Kinnick crowd go nuts after really uh, causing that punt. I mean, there were a couple of uh, false starts; they called timeout. 
uh, from Michigan State uh, as they, you know, were rattled by the Kinnick, Kinnick crowd. A Kinnick crowd which, you know, at times that night really impacted the game in a positive way for Iowa and at other times really voiced their displeasure with some things at Iowa. Um, I've seen, you know, a lot of takes on kind of the crowd. It's, you know, it's one thing to to let some booze rain down after three and out or, you know, a, a third and 15 draw play, uh, uh, you know, when the offense has been as inept as they have been. But the fire Brian chants were loud and clear on TV, on the sideline, everywhere. They were loud and clear. And they're, they're, they're warranted. They're called for. You're, this is what you're going to get uh, if you hold on to an offensive coordinator that's been this bad for this long uh, and you, you, we don't have a good reason for holding on to, on to them. Um, even with all of that said, and like so I don't, I don't begrudge any Hawkeye fans who did that or who agree with it or who want to go to the next game against Purdue and, and do it as well. This is the bed that Kirk Ferentz and Iowa football have made, and they need to lay in it. And and good on Kirk Ferentz for addressing it after the game when asked and, and saying, hey, this is, you know, nobody likes going three and out, and, and that's how they voice their displeasure, and, and you know, that, that it is what it is. He didn't get mad at the at the crowd. He didn't say it was, uh, it was wrong or bad or anything like that. He's going to take his medicine. He's going to lay in, in this bed. It wasn't a very good look. It's not a good look. But again, that's not the fault of the fans. It's the fault of the situation. It's a bad situation. I did a podcast a week ago about this situation. It's a bad situation. And so this is what it's going to be. But it's it's not a good look to be on national TV chanting fire Brian uh, in a game that you're ultimately going to win. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm, I don't have a strong opinions on it. I didn't like it when I heard it, but I completely understand it. And I don't know that I wouldn't have chimed in had I been there uh, as frustrated as, as many of you were uh, on Saturday night. Deacon Hill comes in after Cade McNamara goes out and plays pretty well. Uh, you know, there, there's been this kind of emerging wisdom about this Deacon Hill change, this change to Deacon Hill. Uh, I've seen it on WHO TV. I saw it in a few other places. I've, I've seen, you know, columns being written about it that um, not that he's better than Cade McNamara or not that I was is in a better position because Cade McNamara uh, is down and out. Not that Iowa is going to win more games with Deacon Hill than they would have with Caden McNamara, but that it's not a huge loss in the circ- given the circumstances that Iowa has been in. And those circumstances are you've had a hobbled Cade McNamara since the early August. He missed most of fall camp, and even though he was not listed as questionable the last couple of weeks, it was clear he was not his at, at 100% or even anywhere close to it. Uh, and therefore, Iowa's offense was not at 100%. Uh, Kirk Ferentz said, we're not going to run any quarterback sneaks. That's been a big part of Iowa's offense and a big reason why Iowa's been able to control the clock and control field position and you know play this punt-to-win game for as many years as they have is because that quarterback sneak has been so effective. I mean, hell, there was a time when Nate Stanley was quarterback where you could almost do that all the way down the field. And so that is a, you know, as, as laughable as it may seem to the outside observer, 
the quarterback sneak is an important play in Iowa's offense. And to, so to have that taken off the table because of Cade McNamara's injury was a big deal. And to have that back on the table with a big guy like Deacon Hill under center uh, is a big deal, as is the the rollout and the, the bootleg. And again, other kind of big areas of Iowa's offense that were taken off the table because of Cade McNamara's injury. Now, Cade McNamara throws a better ball than Deacon Hill. He probably understands the offense at a higher level. Uh, He almost certainly has a better chemistry with the wide receivers and the tight ends, and his ceiling is higher. But a hobbled Cade McNamara is not five steps ahead of a fully healthy Deacon Hill and so I think that's where the, you, you're getting this kind of sense that, hey, this isn't the end of the world. And it's not like Iowa has a world-beating schedule. Um, and so can Deacon Hill lead this team to 8, 9, 10 wins? It kind of feels like he could because we've seen Spencer Petrus do that. And and we we all know the limitations on his skill. Deacon Hill has a big arm, a big arm, maybe too big of an arm, certainly too high of velocity for some of the receivers on Saturday night. And and hopefully they're spending this week getting used to that um, because that's got to be part of the reason for the drops, six or seven drops. Some of them really, really costly. If you're going to feature your wide receivers, which Iowa doesn't do a lot, you need those wide receivers to make catches. Now you also understand how a wide receiver who hasn't been targeted all season might drop a ball. You also understand how a wide receiver getting a ball slung at him at a higher velocity than he's seen in a while might drop a ball. And so th- there's there's blame to go. There's enough blame to go all, all the way around uh, for these drops. But the receivers need to catch the balls that hit them in the hands. And Deacon Hill probably needs to, to learn to put a little bit more finesse, a little bit more touch on those passes. And, and hopefully those will be things that they can work on in practice over the next couple of weeks and, and get ironed out. The hesitation I have about that is that Deacon Hill has spent a lot of time with these with the, with the first team offense, with these receivers, with this offensive line, with these running backs, because Cade McNamara was out so much. He missed several weeks of fall camp. So Deacon Hill was the guy because Joey Labus was hurt too. Deacon Hill came in in the spring and was kind of the guy because those guys were hurt. It'll be interesting to see what Joey Labus's role is on this team moving forward. I mean, he started and won a bowl game for Iowa and didn't look great, but didn't look bad. I think had he not gotten hurt uh, and missed much of the offseason, he'd probably be the guy who came in on Saturday night and probably be the guy that we were talking about moving forward. But he's not. So you wonder how ready is he and how short of the leash is is there going to be on Deacon Hill? We'll learn more about that from Kirk Ferentz and the team when they meet with the media on Tuesday afternoon. But I don't think Deacon Hill coming into this offense is a reason to to throw your hands in the air and give up on the season and say that Iowa, you know, can't win eight, nine, ten games, can't win the Big Ten West, can't go to Wisconsin and, and pick up a win. I think it's less likely that they do things like that. I think you're going to see a game or two that Deacon Hill is not going to be very good, is going to throw multiple interceptions or fumble the ball or make the wrong reads or whatever that is. I think there's a better chance that Deacon Hill loses us a game than there would have been that Cade McNamara lost us a game. But I do think there's a decent chance that a good Deacon Hill can win us a game or two. And so it's just, you know, we we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And it's really a damn shame that we haven't yet gotten to see a fully healthy Cade McNamara. It's what the entire offseason was about. It's what gave us all hope. It's a big reason why every game is sold out. It's a big reason why I was expected to do the things that they're expected to do, that they started the season ranked, all of that. 
A lot of that was on the shoulders of Caden McNamara, and he just didn't ever have an opportunity to be fully healthy and to lead this team, to lead this offense, and to show us what he has. Hopefully he'll be able to take a year, come back, win this job again, and and come back next season in whatever uh, iteration this team is next season, and we can see a fully healthy Caden McNamara in a Hawkeye jersey. I hope that happens. I don't know if it will or not. Who knows what his plan is moving forward? Who knows what this program looks like a year from now? And so it's just too hard to speculate on some of that stuff. But uh, we're riding with Deacon Hill, at least for for now. And I've, I have a feeling we'll get an update on the Joey Labus situation and, and all of that tomorrow afternoon. Drew Stevens, want to mention him. Uh, he was fantastic. Four for four. He's just been great all year long. Uh, he missed one, uh, one field goal, I believe, but... Had a long of 53. He was big. He's going to need to continue to be big. You, you, you really need to rely on him now uh, to be able to get you points when this offense sputters uh, in the red zone or on the other side of the 50, which is likely going to happen more and more. As teams are going to stack the box against the run, try to make Deacon Hill in this passing game beat them, you're really going to need to rely on your special teams to, to be not just good, but very, very good, great to elite. And Drew Stevens has been that, and that's been a lot of fun. Uh, the, his his third field goal, the fourth one was the final one that that put Iowa up by ten and and put gave Iowa twenty six points. We should make a note of that over the twenty five point barrier for the week, uh, although not for the season at this point. But the third field goal, the one that tied the game, Iowa had the ball fourth and one, maybe one and a half or two. Uh, inside Michigan State territory, deep in Michigan State territory. And at that time, I I disagreed with the call to kick the field goal. Uh, I know why Kirk Ferentz made the call. You tie the game. You put the the ball in the hands, the game in the hands of your, your defense and your special teams, and you hope that they can make a play and get a win. And that's exactly what happened. He was right. He made the right call. It was the right call because of the Cooper DeGene uh punt return and it was also I mean Iowa had two turnovers after that a, a forced fumble that they recovered uh, by Nick Jackson and a, an interception from Jamari Harris and so uh, putting the game in the hands of your defense and special teams was certainly the right move I thought at the time you should go for it you have the the sneaking deacon the QB deke you can get that first down and try to punch it into the end zone and take the lead and put this game away I wasn't sure how many more opportunities Iowa would have to score the ball. So I felt like you had to take advantage of that. Nobody wanted to see that game go to overtime. Uh, I was certainly didn't. And so go ahead and take the lead there if you could. Uh, and then worst case scenario is you don't get that and you're still putting the ball or the game in the hands of your defense who at that point had a really good chance, I think, to stop Michigan State. You could hear the crowd uh, play 12th man on that side of the field already. And so I disagreed with that decision at the time, uh, but ultimately it didn't matter. And, uh, and ultimately, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Kirk Ferentz was right, uh, as as he usually is. And, and hey, a win is a win. A 10-point win in the, in the Big Ten is a win. Uh, I know Michigan State's in disarray and all of that. We expected more. We wanted more. We hoped for more. But a win is a win, and you, you can't scoff at that too much. Uh, we've already talked about the kind of entertainment factor and, and all of that. That's going to be a conversation that's ongoing that we can uh, – we can get into as we move forward, but hey, 26-16, you're 4-1 on the season, you're 1-1 and in the Big Ten, and uh, and the, the Big Ten West is there for the taking, and, and so you feel okay about that right now.
Looking at some bigger picture stuff, I mean, you know, do you change your outlook on this season at all with the injuries? And it's not just the Cade McNamara injury, but uh, the Luke Lachey injury, the Jazzy and Patterson and Caleb Johnson injuries, which they're still not on the depth chart ahead of the Purdue game. We'll get an update from Kirk Ferentz tomorrow, but you're starting to get some some people with their tinfoil hats asking some questions about Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson and does this feel like a Keegan Johnson situation from a year ago where all year it was like, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, week to week, week to week. And really, he I think it felt like he wasn't going to play because he wanted to preserve his year of eligibility and move on after the season. And are we seeing anything like that from Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson? I don't know. I think it's uh, that, that feels conspiratorial to me, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. I don't have any insight to that. I don't have any. Uh, and, and, but I, I have seen that a lot. I've seen people now starting to question things like that. Um, so do you change your expectations now? I think you have to a little bit. Uh, this team is not as powerful. And and really, I think at this point in the season, even if Cade McNamara had continued that game and it went the same way it did, you probably have to start adjusting your expectations a little bit uh, based just on the fact that this offense isn't any different. It's not any better. It doesn't feel like it's going to get any better. And so... You're going to be playing in a lot of games that are one-possession games that come down to one or two big plays on either side and and which team can make them. And while I'm confident that Iowa has a better defense and special teams units than most of the teams they're going to play in their final seven games, I'm not confident that that's going to be enough to win all of those games. In any given game, sure. But all of those games, are you going to be able to pull this out every time? Iowa does it more often than not, but almost every one of those seasons also includes one of those head head scratching games against Nebraska when Cooper DeGene gets hurt, or against Purdue a couple of years ago where you can't hold on to the ball and you can't protect the quarterback. And I mean, at Wisconsin looks super daunting right now. Even this game against Purdue now, uh, we've gotten to a point where no game on this schedule feels like a certain loss, but also no game feels like a certain win, and that's a pretty scary place to be when you just have so many questions about this this offense especially, but really the team as a whole, because Iowa's not pressuring the quarterback. They're, they're not getting sacks. Uh, they picked up four turnovers against Michigan State, but again, two of those were late, and one of those you gave right back with a fumble. And so, you know, you, you're not counting on that. Uh, people are going to start kicking away from Cooper DeGene. You're not going to give him an opportunity to return the ball very often. You already don't throw at him. You're not going to kick to him. And so can Iowa go 7-0 and playing this style? I highly doubt it. It's not impossible, but I highly doubt it. Can they go 6-1? and eh, 5-2 and two is probably more likely. 4-3 and three is probably more likely than 6-1. and one. And then it's just a matter of which, which games are those. Which week do you run into a team that feels good, plays well, catches a break or two early, and, and runs away with the thing? Or, or just, you know, holds on to the ball and does what Iowa does and, and lets the clock run out. I mean, is it, at, is it against Northwestern at Wrigley Field? Is it this week against Purdue? That Wisconsin game, again, feels like you chalk that up as a loss. Does Minnesota come down and get you? Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska. I mean, all of these teams are capable of winning a Big Ten West-style game. And that's what Iowa's going to be playing. And so these are going to be ugly games. Get ready for it. Buckle up. I do think you adjust expectations a little bit as far as wins and losses. I still think the expectation is to win the Big Ten West. You still need to do that. And regardless of what happens in the offseason or what happens with the Ferentz family and all of that, 
uh, that that does need to be the goal right now. Still, even given all of what what we've gone through, you still need to expect to win the Big Ten West and play for a Big Ten championship uh, in early December. McNamara next steps for Cade. I don't know. Um, I don't know the transfer rules well enough to know how limited he is in his options. He's already transferred once without penalty. Obviously, um, I think he's already used his his red shirt. I think he's probably played too many games at this point to get a medical red shirt. At least if he's Drew Ott, that'd be the case. And so, what does he do next? Does he stay with the program rehab uh, and and come back next year and, and try to be Iowa's starting quarterback? Regardless of of who the offensive coordinator, you know, is he going to be learning a new offense? Is he going to be under a completely new regime? Who knows? If that's the case, does he want to stay? Um, does Iowa want him to stay? What if uh, what if one of these guys, Deacon Hill or Joey Labus, uh, you know, comes out, breaks out in the next seven games, or you know, Marco Linez comes in and and is the guy as a as a young man, as a freshman, uh, you know, just it's in, it's impossible to know what that's going to look like exactly. And it's going to be interesting to see. And again, it's just a damn shame we never got to see Cade McNamara at full go. Um, you know, the 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 Brian Ferentz stuff isn't getting any better. It's just going to continue to get worse. And and what does that look like? Um, and, and so, yeah, just big picture stuff. It's all question marks. It's all question marks. And, and unfortunately, you don't have a ton of answers. I will say there, there's a narrative I've heard a lot and it's not completely wrong, but I think it's being overblown. This thought that Iowa's schedule is going to get so much tougher moving forward, or or that this is like the last year Iowa has to play this weak schedule or these weak opponents and to just, you know, back their way into eight, nine, ten wins a season. Now, first of all, I'd argue with the premise of that. Iowa doesn't back their way into anything. And these are good schools, good programs with scholarship players that are trying to win these games. And there's a reason these games are hard. There's a reason they're often close and that Iowa needs a big play. Purdue, Minnesota, Northwestern, Illinois, Nebraska, these aren't terrible programs. These aren't bad teams. These are, for the most part, well-coached teams that put a lot into beating teams like Iowa. And so you know, taking for granted those wins, I think, is a, is a mistake. And, and, and downplaying the fact that Iowa can win most of those games, I think, is also a mistake. I also think it's a mistake to assume that Iowa's schedule is just going to be, you know, twice as hard every year moving forward than it has been the last couple of years. And is it going to get harder? Certainly. Certainly. It's going to get more challenging on the surface each and every year because you're going to be playing more often teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Washington, Oregon. You're going to get those teams more often. There's no question. We don't know what Iowa's protected rivalries are going to look like in the new Big Ten. But in the most recent iteration, we did know that I was going to play Wisconsin, Minnesota, and and Nebraska every year. So that's going to limit the number of times you play those other other schools. Also, every team in the East isn't great. Rutgers and Indiana. And I mean, you know, it's not like Iowa avoids every great team in the Big Ten and only plays the crappy teams. And there's this narrative that like, oh, I mean, starting next year, I mean, you're going to lose to Ohio State, USC, Oregon, Michigan, and Penn State every year. That's There's five losses a season. Well, guys, we're not going to play those teams every year. It's going to be an 18-team league. You're going to play half of those teams. So will the schedule get more difficult on an annual basis? Certainly. Is it some 
unfathomably terrible sky. You know, I mean, I just, I don't, I think it's being overblown a little bit. Not a lot, maybe, but I do think it's being overblown a little bit how much more difficult Iowa's schedule is going to be uh, moving forward. I just, just wanted to put that out there because um, I, I, it's, it's been interesting. It's been interesting to kind of hear people talk about that. Wrap this up with just a couple of minutes here on uh, on Iowa Men's Basketball Media Day. Uh, Rob Howe will have that covered at HawkeyeNation.com if you haven't seen uh, or listened to Fran McCaffrey's comments or, or any of the interviews with the players. Uh, please go and do that. It sounds like the four newcomer freshmen uh, will all have some sort of impact on this team. Uh, Fran doesn't expect any of them to redshirt and is uh, is you know speaking highly of all of them. Uh, you know, so that that's good. I guess that's good. Um, I'm higher on this team than a lot of people are generally. Again, I don't think Iowa's going to win the Big Ten, uh, but I think Iowa can compete for that top half of the Big Ten and and get back to an NCAA tournament with the core that they have. Uh, Both Tony Perkins and uh, Patrick McCaffrey indicated that they do not plan to play an, an extra year at Iowa. This would be both of their senior seasons. They would each have another COVID year if they so choose to do that. Um, now you remember Jordan Bohannon and, and Connor McCaffrey didn't expect to come back and they both did. So, uh, you know, the door is not closed until it is fully closed, but uh, I think we should expect that this will be the last season we see those guys. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see kind of how this team, how this team develops, how they play out. Uh, but I think, you know, whatever you think about Fran McCaffrey and his track record at Iowa and his in-game coaching and his behavior on the sidelines and his lack of success in in the NCAA tournament, um, you do have to give it to him that he generally gets the most out of his players and finds a way to to, to find the right rotation and to, to get his team to mesh and, and to be playing well uh, in Big Ten play. And that's really what you need to do to get back to the NCAA tournament. And again, I think that's the baseline goal for this basketball program is get back to the NCAA tournament. Even when you lose a first-round NBA draft pick, uh, and two of those in back-to-back years, even when, you know, three years in a row now you've lost the best player on your team, um, you, you're you at a point in the tenure of your of this program where you should be able to reload every year and at least get back to the NCAA tournament. So I think that's the... That is the the expectation. At least that's mine, and, and I'm a little higher on, Hawk, on the Hawkeyes than a lot of people are uh, because I think if... Tony Perkins and and Peyton Sanford and uh, and Patrick McCaffrey max out, and you you plug in some pieces around them. Uh, you know, I, I think we've seen some potential from some of the younger guys. the The newcomers will be really interesting. Ben Cricky will be really interesting. I think that uh, you got a chance to have a a fun team at Carver Hawkeye Arena this year when the men play. You're certainly going to have a fun team when the women play, and the women have their media day on Wednesday morning. So. Uh, we'll definitely have a lot of coverage of that at HawkeyeNation.com as well. I will be back with an opposition research podcast this week, looking ahead to the Purdue game. And then Thursday night, Joe Schmuck and myself will have the Hawkeye Nation radio show where we'll uh, look back to the, the Michigan State game and start to look ahead and some big picture stuff there as well. I really appreciate you listening. Keep your head up and go Hawks. <laughs>